0: back to Endopod. If you're new here, hi, this is Hepsi Xavier and I'm a third year medical student. Welcome to Endopod's revision series. Each episode will cover revision material for those preparing for exams or even just for those who are interested in learning the basics of endocrinology. talking about the structure and anatomy of the adrenal gland, followed by its function. The adrenal glands are positioned on top of the kidneys in the retroperitoneal space, each weighing about 4 grams in adults. Similar to the pituitary, the adrenal gland is composed of two separate endocrine glands rolled into one structure, the adrenal medulla and the adrenal cortex. The adrenal medulla is the inner centre part of the adrenal gland and forms 25% of the gland. It is a modified sympathetic ganglion derived from neurocrest tissue. It is not a true endocrine tissue. Preganglionic sympathetic fibers terminate on specialized postganglionic cells in the medulla. These postganglionic fibers do not have axons. Instead, they release their neurohormones directly into the blood. It secretes catecholamines, mainly adrenaline, noradrenaline and dopamine, to prepare the body for stress, which is fight or flight response. The adrenal cortex surrounds the adrenal medulla and makes up 75% of the gland. It is a true endocrine gland and is derived from the mesoderm. It is arranged in three concentric zones, each of which produce different hormones. The innermost layer which neighbours the adrenal medulla is the zona reticularis, which secretes androgen precursors, for example androstenedione. These then travel to the gonads where they are converted into their mature forms, testosterone for example. The middle layer is the zona fasciculata, which secretes glucocorticoids such as cortisol, which regulate carbohydrate metabolism especially in times of stress. This increases plasma glucose for the body to react to the stress. The outermost layer is the zona glomerulosa, which secretes mineralocorticoids such as aldosterone. Aldosterone is responsible for increasing blood volume and hence blood pressure. It does this by increasing sodium retention and promoting potassium excretion in the distal tubules and collecting duct of the kidneys. This increases the osmotic gradient causing water to be reabsorbed, hence increasing blood volume. All steroid hormones are derived from cholesterol, but different enzymes are found in different adrenal zones leading to different end products. One of the enzymes, 21-hydroxylase, can be deficient which is a common cause of congenital adrenal hyperplasia. This causes a deficiency of aldosterone and cortisol which leads to an imbalance in sodium and glucose. It would cause an increase in sodium excretion which leads to low plasma sodium levels and a decrease in glucose plasma levels which can cause a variation in severity of symptoms. The androgen production, however, is unaffected as they require a different enzyme. Therefore, you get an overproduction of sex steroids which can lead to genital malformations in infants and early puberty in childhood. The hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis, also known as the HPA axis, is essential for survival as it regulates how the body reacts to homeostatic or environmental stress. The hypothalamus releases corticotropin releasing hormone, also known as CRH, which stimulates the anterior pituitary to release adrenocorticotrophic hormone, also known as ACTH, which in turn stimulates the adrenal cortex, specifically the zona fasciculata, to produce cortisol. It has a long loop and a short loop feedback. The long loop feedback feeds cortisol back to the anterior pituitary and hypothalamus to regulate whether the plasma cortisol concentration needs to be increased or decreased. The short-lived feedback is ACTH being fed back to the hypothalamus which will indirectly monitor the cortisol production. Now if we go back to 21-hydroxylase deficiency, we said it causes adrenal hyperplasia. The reason this occurs is because cortisol cannot be produced and hence it cannot feed back and inhibit ACTH and CRH production. This causes an overproduction of ACTH which overstimulates the adrenal gland causing the hyperplasia. ACTH still feeds back to the hypothalamus, which prevents overstimulation of CRH. Now we're going to take a closer look at cortisol. Since it is a glucocorticoid, it affects glucose metabolism. Around 95% of plasma cortisol is bound to a carrier protein called cortisol binding globulin, or CBG. Therefore, only around 5% of cortisol is unbound, and only unbound hormones are able to bind to receptors. All nucleated cells have cytoplasmic glucocorticoid receptors, meaning that cortisol is able to bind to them. The receptor hormone complex then migrates to the nucleus of the cell, binds binds to the DNA via hormone response element and alters gene expression, transcription and translation. It does so by activating or repressing one or more genes, which creates new mRNA, that then moves back to the cytoplasm where translation produces new proteins for cell processes. Anti-inflammatories, for example, will cause a change in gene expression by switching off coding for certain proteins that cause inflammation, for example, prostaglandins. Because it is a steroid hormone, it takes a couple of days for the response to occur. But the response also lasts a few days, meaning that it has a delayed effect. Plasma cortisol has a circadian rhythm meaning that it has a characteristic pattern that repeats every 24 hours. Since cortisol release is stimulated by ACTH, you see a very similar pattern of ACTH release just before cortisol. However, the cortisol burst lasts longer than the ACTH burst because it has a longer half-life. The peak of plasma cortisol is between around 6-9am, to which is related to waking up because this is a very physiological stressful activity. The cardiovascular system has to work harder to increase blood pressure, cognitive load is increased, muscle load is increased and more. The lowest level of plasma cortisol is around midnight and in the early phases of sleep. Other fluctuations during the day and night are due to other stressful stimuli such as almost missing the bus. Cortisol is essential for survival and removal of the adrenal glands will result in death within a few weeks loss of cortisol means animals are unable to effectively deal with stress especially in terms of maintaining blood glucose levels since since cortisol is a glucocorticoid it is crucial in preventing hypoglycemia in the brain which would decrease brain function cortisol has a permissive effect on glucagon meaning that together they increase blood glucose because glucagon alone is inadequate glucocorticoids have four main actions of glucose metabolism It increases gluconeogenesis by stimulating the formation of gluconeogenic enzymes in the liver, increasing glucose production. It increases proteolysis by stimulating the breakdown of muscle proteins to provide more gluconeogenic substrates for the liver. It stimulates lipolysis in adipose tissue which increases free fatty acids which are an alternative fuel supply and substrate for gluconeogenesis to ensure that there is enough glucose for the brain. It decreases insulin sensitivity of muscle and adipose tissue so that glucose is kept in the plasma for longer and can go to the brain. There are also some additional actions of cortisol which are not related to glucose. It has a negative effect on calcium balance by decreasing absorption from the gut and increasing excretion at the kidneys, resulting in net calcium loss. It also causes calcium resorption from bone by inhibiting osteoblasts and increasing osteoplasts which can lead to osteoporosis. It impairs mood and cognition. It also has a permissive effect on noradrenaline, particularly particularly in vascular smooth muscle. So high levels of cortisol causes hypertension. Cortisol also suppresses the immune system by reducing the circulating lymphocyte count. It reduces the antibody formation and inhibits inflammatory response. These can be useful clinically in reducing inflammation and reducing chances of transplant rejection. However, it leaves the body vulnerable to infection. When patients need to take glucocorticoids, they are at risk of side effects, including increased severity and frequency of infection, the reasons for which we just talked about. It causes muscle wastage due to increased proteolysis to create substrates for gluconeogenesis. It causes the loss of percutaneous fat stores due to increased lipolysis, which makes skin more fragile. Great care is required when withdrawing glucocorticoid treatment because it enhances the negative feedback in the HPA axis. This turns on the release of corticotrophin-releasing hormone and ACTH, which in turn causes atrophy of the adrenal gland as it isn't being stimulated. If you then suddenly withdraw the glucocorticoid treatment, it will remove the negative feedback and CRH and ACTH will be produced again. However, due to the atrophied adrenal gland, it is unable to respond adequately so the patient is at risk of adrenal insufficiency. Therefore, patients are slowly weaned off glucocorticoids to allow their adrenal glands to get back to normal working order. Next, we'll have a look at aldosterone in some more detail. Aldosterone is a mineralocorticoid, which means it determines the levels of mineral reabsorption and excretion. It does this by increasing reabsorption of sodium and promoting excretion of potassium in the distal tubule of the kidney. Aldosterone secretion is primarily controlled by the renin-angiotensin-aldosterone system. Increased aldosterone levels will therefore stimulate sodium retention and potassium excretion, which increases the osmotic gradient and hence water gets reabsorbed. This increases blood volume and hence blood pressure. Decreased aldosterone levels lead to sodium excretion and potassium retention. This will cause water to be excreted resulting in diminished blood volume and hence decreased blood pressure. Aldosterone like cortisol is essential for life. This concludes today's episode on the adrenal gland. The adrenal glands are located on top of the kidneys and are essential for survival. They are composed of different zones which produce different classes of hormones. We looked at the anatomy, physiology and the clinical implications of adrenal pathology. Since we've covered a lot of information, please do let us know if you have any queries or questions. Please like and share the podcast with all your friends and colleagues and of course I always welcome any feedback. Before I go, I want to say a big thank you to Sitska Visser, who is one of the revision workshop facilitators who was involved in the making of this episode. Stay safe and happy, this is Hepsi Xavier, signing off.